0: Well, Ian, thank you very much uh, for reading for us. Please do uh, keep your Bibles open there. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And let me lead us again in a short prayer. Paul says in Colossians 1, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Father God, we uh, pray this morning that we would have ears to uh, hear, eyes to see Jesus that we would be growing in maturity in him. In his name we pray and for your glory. Amen. Great John at chapter 1 and verses 19 to 28 is where we will be. Now I don't uh, tend to watch a huge amount of TV at the moment. Little children put pay to that. But one show I've overheard some people talking about a lot recently is Line of Duty. Uh, Line of duty, maybe some of us uh, are watching it or not, I don't know. Uh, From what I can gather, it's about corrupt police officers getting uncovered. Is that about right? Uh, Anyway, what it does do is it shows that crime dramas are still all the rage. There's something compelling about uncovering the truth, discovering uh, who really did it. There's an interview after interview. Can we believe what we're being told? Is there a cover-up? Where's the evidence? And perhaps we've spotted how right from the first line of our reading this morning, we're in similar territory. Now just look with me again to verse 19. This is the testimony. Right away we've got the feel of a a trial scene, a courtroom drama. In fact, it began back in verse 6, didn't it? Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then the theme gets highlighted again in verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And so this witness or testimony theme is going to keep coming up again and again in John's Gospel. There's a a whole multitude of witnesses bearing testimony to Jesus' identity as the Christ. Uh, There's John the Baptist, uh, Jesus' own works, God the Father, the Scriptures, especially those written by Moses, uh, the witness of Jesus himself, uh, the Holy Spirit, the disciples, including John himself. Right at the end of his book, John can write, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Jesus is the attested-to word. We're dealing with eyewitness testimony. We get place names, people's names, family names. We get timings and dates. Now, All of it is meant to, to lead us being confident and convinced. Jesus really is who he says he is. And also, Jesus really is who John says he is. And so John the apostle, John the author... Holds up Exhibit A, as it were. His first piece of evidence, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, Here's the first person he calls to the witness stand. And so the historical narrative doesn't begin with a manger. It doesn't begin with a genealogy. No, it begins with John the Baptist, as John the author uh, marshals his evidence to make his big point. And the first thing he underlines for us this morning is Jesus is the long-expected one. Uh, Jesus is the long-expected one. We're looking here at verses 19 to 23. And I just, I love the way John the Baptist goes about this interview. It's like a game of uh, 20 questions. Do you still play that game? Uh, We play it with our boys from time to time, especially when they get fed up with chatting to their parents at the dinner table. Uh, Just look at verse 19 again. Uh, This is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Now clearly John has caused something of a stir, but he's not got a, a publicity team or an agent, so this special delegation of priests and Levites is sent from Jerusalem to find out who he is. Uh, they clearly think, well, there's something special, something amazing about John, but who is he? And knowing how the gospel continues, I don't think their question is a gentle one, just meant to break the ice. No, it's much closer to, who do you think you are? What's he up to? There's messianic expectation bubbling away, and John the Baptist looks like he might tick a few boxes. In fact, just the other day, I heard about a group called the Mandaeans. Uh, Anyone else heard of them? They're a group mostly from Iraq and Iran. Apparently, there are around 70,000 of them uh, worldwide at the moment. And still to this day, they look to John the Baptist as their greatest and final teacher. Even today, 2,000 years later, Now, baptism is a central theme in their teaching, and you get baptised multiple times in your life in order to redeem your soul. So if even today there are 70,000-odd people who look to John the Baptist, then the fervour back in the first century must have been huge. But John is just so emphatic, isn't he? It is not about him. And we were looking at Isaiah not long ago in passages like chapter 9, uh, chapter 11... We're looking forward to one coming from the line of David. Or we might think of 2 Samuel 7, or Ezekiel 37, or Psalm 110. Uh, Lots of expectations of a Christ, but John is crystal clear. I am not the Christ. So the Jerusalem delegation can turn it down a notch. What about Elijah? Elijah. And they're picking up on places like Malachi 4, verse 5, right at the end of the Old Testament where we read this. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Again, John is super clear. I am not. And now some of us at this point might wonder how this squares with Jesus saying John the Baptist is Elijah. We might be thinking of places like Matthew 11. If you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. I wonder if the simplest answer is John saying he's not literally the same physical Elijah, now returned from heaven. But as his own father prophesies in Luke 1, he is the one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So Jesus points to him as the Elijah figure fulfillment. Perhaps John himself figures it out later. But doesn't this fit with John the Baptist's humble assessment of himself? At this point, he may have been unaware of how exactly he fits into the bigger picture. But as we'll see in a moment, he is totally aware of his main role. I love this little uh, quote from Leon Morris, a commentator. Jesus confers on John his true significance. No man is what he himself thinks he is. He is only what Jesus knows him to be. And then finally, uh, John the Baptist denies being the prophet uh, that one predicted by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, a prophet like Moses. Now we need to, to recognize John's not just stating the obvious here. Uh, nor is he being difficult or evasive. His very identity is bound up in the fact he's not the Christ. Uh, can we say he, he positively states who he is not? Can we see in verse 20 how, how he labors the point? It's not a denial but an affirmation. It's like going up to a boxing announcer, and just as they say, introducing in the blue corner, you ask them, well, are you Tyson Fury? Are you Anthony Joshua? No, their whole job is literally pointing to someone bigger than themselves. it will be absurd. Or if you ask the White House press secretary if they're Joe Biden. Of course not. The very definition of their role is to point away from themselves to someone else. Or at least it should be. So these verses in front of us, they're like a picture where we've got the red carpet rolled out. Uh, There are people uh, lining it with uh, trumpets. You've got those guards with the big bearskin hats on. We might not be able to see the Queen, but we know it's all about her. Uh, We know what's coming. And it's a little similar here. Uh, Like a, a long drum roll. Jesus isn't mentioned yet, but we know it's all about him. And that gets even clearer when we turn to John's answer in verses 22 and 23. At verse 22, they, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. We've had... John's identity denied, or rather, affirmed negatively. And now we get John's identity affirmed positively. Who do you think you are? Answer, the voice. He's not a silent witness. Uh, Just in case we, we missed the Old Testament quotation, it's flagged for us. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, to be precise. Now, we don't often turn to a cross-reference, but I think this is one of those rare occasions where we should. So I just want us, I hope we've got a Bible in front of us, to flick back to Isaiah chapter 40. I have no idea what page number it is in your Bible. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm just going to read out the first five uh, verses for us. And I want us to notice what's tied up with this announcement. As John the Baptist speaks these words, he's doing more than just trying to find a kind of tweetable quote to fit his job description. He's telling us what to expect. So Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, There's peace and pardon and payment for sin, verse 2. The picture in verses 3 and 4 is of the return of the exiles, a kind of new exodus. And then in verse 5, God's glory will be revealed. It is a stunning proclamation. And now John is the one getting people ready for God to visit. There have been centuries of preparation, but now is the time... For this new dawn. He's telling us Jesus is the one to bring in this marvellous new age. He brings comfort. He brings peace with God. Pardon from God. Payment for sin. He brings redemption. He reveals God's glory. You see all of us have rejected God as our ruler. We've all said no to his good ways. We've gone our own way. And so God is rightly angry with us. With every Single one of us. But now, John says, God is coming. He's coming to deal with sin, to pay for sin, so we can be pardoned and right with God. John knows his Old Testament. He knows Isaiah 53 comes after Isaiah 40. He knows Jesus is the suffering servant. It's why in the next few verses, which we'll look at this coming Friday on Good Friday, Jesus is described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus will die on the cross so God's anger at our sin can be dealt with. And so Jesus gives us peace with God now and forever. And as we turn back to John's Gospel, we see that that, that John the Baptist's job, his role is to wake us up to that reality. And that's what the imagery of levelling the plane is all about. It's both pointing us uh, back to the exodus, uh, talking of a a return for the exiles. It's also a picture of clearing the way for a coming king. Uh, This last week, some of us uh, living in the centre of town may have noticed the traffic's been awful, as I think various potholes have been being fixed. Or just the other day, I had to get out the car and remove a tree from the road, or a kind of branch that uh, got in the way. Uh, But this levelling John's talking about isn't physical. The things getting in the way of Jesus' arrival are sin and our need of repentance. Jesus is God arriving on earth. He's the one to bring about a permanent rescue for God's people. If there's one word that's been overused in the last year, I reckon unprecedented is probably quite high up on the list. It seems everything is unprecedented at the moment. Except in one sense it isn't. There have been plagues and viruses before. There have been floods, there have been riots and civil unrest. The pandemic ultimately is nothing new. Now, if we want to use the word unprecedented, then surely John 1 is the place to go. John's saying Jesus is the long-expected one who will bring in this whole new beginning. If John is announcing the arrival of the Lord God, then Of course, Jesus is the greater one. And that's where we turn next. So uh, next up this morning, verses 24 to 28, Jesus is the greater one. Jesus is the greater one. I don't know about you, but one of the things I'm looking forward to this summer is a lot of sport. Uh, Euro 2020 is now this summer. Uh, So are the Olympics, Uh, so is the Lions Tour. It's like we've got a lot of catching up to do. And there will always be, won't there, that inevitable question about who is the greatest? Who's the greatest footballer? Uh, Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest Olympian and so on? But if we're thinking like that when it comes to John the Baptist and Jesus, then we need a a lot of brain stretching. You see, to say Jesus is in a different league, to say he's a world apart, well, they are understatements there aren't enough superlatives in the world to describe just how much greater Jesus is. Muhammad Ali may have been called the greatest, but where is he now? No, Jesus alone is the greater one, the greatest. And it's fun how this Q&A goes, this next Q&A. We'll pick it up in verse 24. Now, they had been sent, from the Pharisees, that they asked him then, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Uh, Look, John, why are you baptizing? Answer, look to Jesus. It almost feels like a non sequitur until we remember what baptism is about and what John's role is. John isn't just announcing Jesus' arrival, he's also getting people ready. Echoing verse 15, he wants to get clear in people's minds just how great Jesus is. He doesn't want them to misunderstand. Yes, he's baptising, but only with water. It's a picture of repentance and cleansing and new life, but it's not the end product, it's just water. In a sense, all he's doing is getting people wet. And so as he always does, John points immediately away from himself. Uh, John's telling us Jesus isn't just another prophet, not, not a mere Elijah or Moses. He's not even a great person. He is the greatest ever. He's God. And the illustration he uses is certainly vivid Uh, Back then, feet were really grotty. And remember, John the Baptist is a a bit of a local celebrity. He's causing such a stir, they think, could he possibly be the Christ or the prophet? But he says he's not even worthy to undo Jesus' sandal straps. So this would be like a, a Boris or Bieber or Bezos saying they're not even worthy to clean someone's toilet bowl or unblock the sewage drains of someone. They're they're that great, that much greater. Can we even imagine someone saying something like that? Is there anyone you think is so great you don't even deserve to clean their toilet or unblock their drains? It's just too much of a privilege to serve them in in that way. That's pretty much what John is saying about Jesus. There is simply no one greater or higher or more amazing than Jesus. There never can be, or will be. Jesus is the greater one. May I suggest, whatever our view of Jesus, it is too small. You see, why doesn't John the author just uh, cut to the chase, maybe go straight to the birth of Jesus? Well, because he wants to get us ready. He wants us to grasp just how incredible it is Jesus arriving on the scene. Jesus is the the long-expected one, the promised one, and he is also the greater one. He's come to bring comfort, to offer forgiveness, to care, to gather God's people in, to rescue a people under God's judgment. He's come to make them right with God, to bring peace, pardon, payment for sin. Of course, he is the greatest ever. Uh, for fans of comic books, we may know uh, Silver Surfer is a herald of Galactus, some massive planet-eating monster. Uh, the problem is, the Silver Surfer is a pretty cool superhero in his own right. In fact, there's uh, talks of him having his own film. Uh, John the Baptist, though, he doesn't want any of the limelight for himself. He understands what's at stake. How could he point to himself? Of course, he must point to Jesus. He is the greater one. And yet we are so slow to look to Jesus. At the time of the Reformation, Calvin uh, was trying to show just how ridiculous relics were. Uh, Relics, it's uh, when churches and cathedrals had supposed bits of old dead saints. Uh, He counted uh, altogether, I think, nine fingers in Europe, all claiming to be the one finger that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus with. I mean, how much can you miss the point Even if one of those fingers happened to be John's crusty old skeletal finger, the whole purpose of it was to point to Jesus. But again, even in John's day, they don't get it. Look at verse 28 again. Among you stands one you do not know. They were missing what was right under their noses. But is there a sense this might be true for some of us listening in? J.C. Ryle puts it so well. Christ is still standing among many who neither see nor know nor believe. Christ is passing by in many a parish and many a congregation and the vast majority have neither an eye to see him nor an ear to hear him. Salvation is within their reach but they sleep. Could that be you? Please don't... Miss what John and this passage are doing. This section is like one giant arrow pointing to Jesus. We're meant to look from the herald to the person he's announcing. Some folk, even well-intentioned folk, hold up John the Baptist as an example of evangelism. And of course there is something to be learned there. I think chapter 3, that's a bit more of the focus. But if we make this sermon all about what John teaches us as an example... I reckon he'd be spewing, if you can do that in heaven, I'm not sure. He'd be crying out, it's all about Jesus. Even if he's not mentioned by name, of course he's front and centre. He must be front and centre. He is always front and centre. He is the greater one. This week I've spent a considerable chunk of my time wading through safeguarding reports. Maybe some of us are aware of the scandals. It is thoroughly depressing, and we must be praying on for the victims of various abuses. And one helpful lesson has been not to put our trust in anyone but Jesus. In God's kindness, not all church leaders make spectacular fools, but some do, and some will. It doesn't make it acceptable for a second but it is a reminder not to put anyone on the pedestal except Jesus. He alone is the greater one. Please don't put any church leader on a pedestal. Uh, Don't put me on a pedestal. That's probably not a problem for most of us. But it is a serious and sobering reminder. Jesus is the only one who is guaranteed never to let us down. He'll never disappoint He alone is the greater one. Just a little bit later on in Isaiah 40, Jerusalem is to herald, to proclaim the good news. And what is that good news? Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. All pastors, even the best of pastors, are only ever under shepherds. Jesus alone is the greatest. Jesus alone is the perfect shepherd. He is the one I, you, all of us keep needing to point to. But even more importantly, we need to keep running to him ourselves whether we're doing okay or struggling to get through each day, whether we're we're plagued with doubt or we've got it all figured out, we must look to him, Jesus, the greater one. Do you know what the last words on the lips of John the Baptist are in this gospel? Chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease, relentlessly pointing to Christ till the end. Or do you know what the last mention is of John the Baptist in this gospel? Chapter 10, verse 41. John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man, Jesus, was true. Job done. Will we listen to both John the Baptist and John the Apostle and look to Jesus? To look with the eyes of faith and trust him. Delight in him, worship him, love and adore him. Because only Jesus is worthy of our all and no one else. The comfort in Isaiah 40 is for those who turn back to the Lord, those who wait on the Lord. It was the same message in Isaiah's day as John's day as it is today. Trusting in God's promised Messiah who brings about God's perfect rescue. You see, John's not just telling us God is about to arrive. He's also telling people how to get ready. I wonder if anyone here has uh, seen the Queen in real life, uh, entertained her at a residence. If she's coming to Tunbridge Wells, what kind of things might we have to do to get ready? What if she was visiting our house? Wonderfully, John the Apostle tells us exactly how to get ready for Jesus at the end of his book we've mentioned it every week but it it is pretty inescapable now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name Jesus is the evidenced witnessed to word we have in our hands that the written testimony to persuade us my hope, my prayer is for all of us to keep looking to Jesus and to keep believing in his name so we see more and more what he has brought about and quite how great he is. He alone, the long-expected one and the greater one. Let's pray together. Among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Father God, thank you for how relentlessly John the Baptist points us to Jesus. And we pray that we would heed his words and look to Jesus to trust in him, in him delight in him, put all of our confidence in him, knowing that he will never disappoint us, never let us down. He will always satisfy and that in him we have uh, perfect peace and we have pardon for our sin and we have lasting eternal comfort and we ask it in his name and for your glory amen